0: With Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/slash credit card. The volume. We're back with another week of football, and DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups and walk away an instant. Winter. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every single game day this September. Football's more fun when you're in on the action. So download the app now and sign up with code HOOPS. New customers can bet just $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets only on the DraftKings Sportsbook app, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, with code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 888- 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. Licensee partner, Golden Nugget Lake Charles in Louisiana, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftKings.com slash football terms for eligibility. Terms and responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. We are live on AMP, so if you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast feeds, don't forget that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. Continuing our power rankings today with number eight, the Philadelphia 76ers. Going to do a season preview on them. Then I've got a couple of mailbag questions for the end of the show as well. You guys know the drill. before we get started. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT. Don't forget about our podcast feed under Hoops Tonight. Then I need mailbag questions, so continue to drop those in the YouTube comments so we can keep hitting them at the end of these shows. All right, let's talk some basketball. So, quick off-season recap for the Philadelphia 76ers. They lost Dwayne Dedman and Jalen McDaniels. They also lost two of their better shooters in Shake Milton and Georges Niang. They added Mo Bamba, a backup center, A deadly above-the-break three-point shooter, but he leaves a lot to be desired everywhere else. He'll put up rebounding numbers, but he'll struggle to grab certain types of rebounds. Uh, He can get shoved off of his box-out spots a lot. Defensively, Like again, you're expecting him to be more impactful than he actually will be, Uh, but he is a deadly above-the-break three-point shooter, and so when he's used as a pick-and-pop player... That's a legitimate weapon. Um, Patrick Beverly got signed by the Sixers, covered him with the Lakers last year. Still a very good point of attack defender against small guards. When you put him, you know, in a position where his specific set of tools are most useful, he can still be deeply impactful. Famously, last year had a really big defensive game against Tyrese Halliburton. But the, uh, narrative that he can switch up and guard wings is overstated at least in my opinion as uh, having covered him with the Lakers last year he just really struggles with those physical mismatches and so I think a big key is going to be giving him the right types of matchups but he can still be a very impactful point of attack defender against smaller guards on offense Just from my personal experience rooting for a team that he was on, he was a little bit of a ball stopper. Like The ball will be popping around, and then it'll end up in Patrick Beverly's hands in the corner, and he'll pump fake and then jab step and then pump fake again, and then whatever advantage there was is lost. Now, he did shoot a lot better with the Timberwolves the year before last than he did with the Lakers last year or the Bulls last year. So maybe if he's making a higher percentage of his shots – That ends up being less of a problem, and he's more of a positive offensively. But I found him largely to be a frustrating player uh, rooting for him last year. But also, it's important to acknowledge that that Lakers team had a lot of other problems before the deadline that go above and beyond Patrick Beverly. So, again, if they use him right, I do think he can be a useful player for them. And, again, in a team that struggles with point-of-attack defense, I think that's a legitimate asset. Danny Green. Shot really well for Cleveland last year, but wasn't moving super well, so he didn't play a ton, but uh, he'll be an interesting shooting option for them. And then the big, probably splashiest signing of this summer for the Sixers, they got Kelly Oubre, who put up massive numbers for a bad team last year. He averaged 20 points a game last year. He also averaged one assist per game last year. Uh, 53% true shooting, which is really low. Um, He's still one of the best athletes in the league. He just struggles to put the ball in the basket efficiently. He was below 50% in effective field goal percentage on jump shots last year. Anytime you're converting jump shots at less than a uh, a point per possession, that's not good. He was barely over 60% in the restricted area, which for an athlete like him, you're hoping for something closer to like 65%. But I do like the fit in Philly. Because like with Philly, again, if we look back at what happened in the Celtics series, they had some highs in that series. Again, like there's a lot of lows that we're going to talk about with Philly in this series and in this uh, episode. And some of them aren't going away, right? Like, we're going to talk about a schematic thing here in a second that hurt the, the the Sixers at the end of the Celtics series. But there was another thing that hurt them at the end of the Celtics series, and it's James Harden and Joel Embiid and their offensive struggles, which we'll get to. But the reality is, is that they were uh, unable to play P.J. Tucker without suffering the offensive limitations of Boston, ignoring him and, and offering a ton of extra help. And so ideally, you have a forward that you can slot between. Tobias Harrison and and, and Joel Embiid that can handle a lot of the physical asks that you were giving to P.J. Tucker but be more of an offensive threat and so from that standpoint like it's I I like the risk it's a low risk signing with Kelly Oubre that has a lot of upside and it's about it's about buy-in like like I'm not I'm never gonna say a freaky athlete can't become a good defender not after what happened with Andrew Wiggins so maybe Nick Nurse can come in and and, and and get him to buy in. We've from Nick Nurse's book, we've learned that he's particularly hard on his forwards defensively. He was famously really hard on Stanley Johnson and ronde Hollis Jefferson when they were struggling to commit to the defensive end and make the impact that he wanted. And so maybe Nick Nurse will be the guy that can get Kelly Oubre to bring that next level of defensive intensity that we haven't seen from him in his career. But to put it simply, if Kelly embraces his role and plays hard in it, I think he'll help the Sixers. A lot. All right, let's take a look at the depth chart. So, at guard, James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, D'Anthony Melton, Patrick Beverly, and Jaden Springer. At forward, Tobias Harris, P.J. Tucker, Furkan Korkmaz, Daniel House Jr., and Danny Green. And then there are bigs, Joel Embiid, Paul Reed, Montrezl Harrell, and Mo Bamba. So, about the James Harden situation. Um, Who the hell knows what's going to happen? Obviously, you guys know my opinion. My opinion on this kind of stuff is like, just make the move because it's not worth the distraction. I think that continuity from day 1 of training camp is ideal. If you're unless you're absolutely, you know, like for instance, like if you're if you're stuck in a position where you signed a bunch of guys and you can't trade them until the deadline for whatever reason, that's one thing, but like if you have the ability to bring in the team you want to finish the season with to day one of camp. That's ideal because over the course of the NBA season, it's going to get even harder now with the addition of the, uh, uh, of the midseason tournament, but you need to have, you know, time to practice and it's just really difficult to find time to practice during the season. And so training camp is literally when you establish your identity as a basketball team. And it's when you build that continuity through practice. And so, um, in my opinion, it's better for you to resolve these sorts of problems during training camp. And a Daryl Morey sees it very differently. He's much more of a a analytical type of thinker, and he's looking at it as championship odds. And so for him, like he views James Harden trades as uh, only acceptable if they bring back you know, some sort of, of package that increases their championship odds. So my guess is Daryl is going to be patient. And we also know from his experience with the Ben Simmons situation that, uh, that he has been rewarded for his patience in the past. And so my guess is that he's going to drag this thing out. Um, I don't, I have no idea how that's going to Um, uh, manifest. I have no idea if James Harden's going to show up and pout. I have no idea if he's going to be a professional and show up and play. Obviously it like, I think James Harden's trade value is really low, probably even lower than Daryl Morey probably thinks. And so from that standpoint, I actually think it behooves James Harden to come into camp and play hard, because if you want to get out of there, you got to find a way to rehab your trade value. We're going to talk about it in a little bit, but like James Harden had the worst postseason of his career to follow up one of his better regular seasons of the last couple of years. And so I I don't think his value is is in a position where he's easy to move. And so I I don't know what's going to happen. But for the purposes of this particular show, in this season preview, I'm going to preview the Sixers as though James Harden is going to stay with the Sixers. All right, let's take a look at the offensive end of the floor. So they were third in offense in the regular season by offensive rating. Fourth and half-court offense, according to Clean the Glass. They were the best spacing team in the league. They shot 38.7% from three. That was the best mark in the league. They were also 10th in three-pointers made per 100 possessions. And they were the best spot-up team in the league. When you factor in attacking closeouts (coughs) by points per possession, they converted spot-up possessions at 1.13 points per possession, which was the best mark in the league. Roughly 20% of their three-pointers made are gone now, though. George Niang and Shake Milton are out of the rotation. And then they added some inconsistent shooters in Kelly Oubre and Patrick Beverly into those spots. So I would say that chances are they're going to go down a little bit of a level from the standpoint of their overall um, uh, spacing that they offer their stars. The Danny Green option that is there, but I, I just don't think he's physically going to be able to do what they need him to do, so I have a feeling you got to almost look at it straight up as you turn Shake Milton into Patrick Beverly and you turn Georges Niang into Kelly Oubre, and those guys are probably going to take those spots in the rotation, and they're inconsistent shooters, so that's just the reality of that situation. They were the very best post-offense in the NBA last year on the strength of Joel Embiid. They were the second-best ISO offense in the NBA on the strength of both Embiid and James Harden. And they were the seventh-best pick-and-roll offense in the league by points per possession. But here's the problem. They had a 117 offensive rating in the regular season. That dropped pretty quickly to 114 against the Nets. And then that cratered down to 108 Against the Celtics. As a matter of fact, against the Celtics, they averaged just 95 points per 100 half court possessions. So, for perspective, that would rank 25th in the regular season among half court offensive uh, uh, ratings on Cleaning the Glass. So, to put it simply, their offense, as great as it was in the regular season, just completely fell apart in the postseason. Now, we said before the postseason, if you guys listen to the show, I said, I believe in what this Sixers team is capable of, but everything comes down to their two best players, James Harden and Joel Embiid, two players who historically have suffered big drop-offs when they get to the postseason. It's going to come down to those two players reversing that trend and playing up to their regular season level in the postseason, and we were going to see if it would finally happen this year, right? Well... It didn't happen. As a matter of fact, it got worse, way worse than I think even anybody could have expected. James Harden went from 21 points and 11, re- 11 assists on 61% true shooting in the regular season to 20-8 and eight on 54% true shooting in the playoffs. And that was bolstered by two incredible games. And James Harden, for the record, two absolutely incredible games. They have no chance to beat the Celtics if they don't get these two games out of James Harden. He had two 40-plus point games, both of them resulting in a game-winning shot at the end of the game. Can't do much better than those two. But here are some other James Harden's playoff games in this playoff run. Two for 14 from the field. Three for 14 from the field. Four for 18 from the field. Three for 13 from the field. Four for 16 from the field. Three for 11 from the field. All in this playoff run. That's six of their 11 games. All six of those he shot below 30% from the field. So, like... I don't I don't care how good he played to lead the team to those two particular wins, that's downright damaging in the other 6 games. He shot just 17 for 48 in this playoff run at the rim. That's 35%. His iso efficiency tanked and quite frankly if it wasn't for those two incredible games, it was it could have been so much worse. It was literally the worst playoff run of his career. So like You needed a change from his own personal history, and instead you got an exaggerated version of it. And for Joel Embiid, it wasn't much better. Joel Embiid tanked way further below his regular season mark. 33 points and 10 rebounds on 66% true shooting in the regular season. 24-10 and on 56% true shooting in the playoffs. His jump shot completely fell apart. He was right around 50% in effective field goal percentage on jump shots in the regular season. He was just 15 for 59 in the playoffs, just 29.7% in effective field goal percentage. Those of you guys who listen to the show, you probably remember me saying, will Joel Embiid be able to make his jump shot? Everything comes down to that, and he just couldn't do it again, and it's been a recurring theme throughout his playoff career. Uh, he was 70% at the rim in the regular season, just 60% at the rim in the playoffs. In Embiid ISO was worth 1.15 points per possession in the regular season. It was worth just 0.85 points per possession in the postseason. That's a 30-point drop per 100 possessions. And you can't blame the role players. The Sixers' spot-up shooting was every bit as good in the playoffs as it was in the regular season. Their two best players just fell apart. Again. Now, in terms of addressing that issue, let's just separate it. So you've got two main issues. You have the Harden problem, and you have the Embiid problem, right? Let's take a look at the Harden problem. Last year was supposed to be James Harden's revenge campaign. I predicted that before the season. And he actually did have a very good year. Again, over 60% true shooting, led the league in assists, super efficient in ISO and pick and roll. But the, But he's 34 now. And he just had the worst playoff run of his career, so it's very unlikely that you're going to suddenly get high level playoff production ever out of him at this point. So the way I see it, there's two options you have to look forward. One, you can do what I expect Daryl Moore to do, which is hold him hostage, look at him as like a regular season innings eater, and then you know never find the trade that ends up materializing into a star. Because I don't think you're going to get a star back for James Harden. And then you're going to go into the postseason, and chances are he'll have the same exact struggle that he had last year, right? Or you can move him. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart in the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano. of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you feeling stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have you started to see a little more of your scalp? Are you unhappy with your hairline? When it comes to thinning hair, there are many root causes at play, and Nutrafol addresses them through a multi-targeted, whole-body approach. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger and faster growing hair with less shedding physician formulated with drug-free ingredients. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting key root causes of thinning stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism through whole body health. Take their hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day and you'll see results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker and healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription. And free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrifol for healthier hair. Nutrifol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L, dot com, promo code hoops, H-O-O-P-S. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code hoops. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor... Angie has cost guides that will tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area, and the app is free and easy to use. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot or download the app today. I don't think you're going to be able to replace him in the regular season context, right? There's no package that you can get back for James Harden right now that makes you a better regular season team. James Harden's just a really good regular season player. But I would argue, if you look at those shooting numbers I just put out, and you look at the defensive limitations that James Harden has, I would argue one or two quality role players actually would impact winning at a higher level in the postseason than James Harden would. And so from that standpoint, I almost think you're better off moving James Harden now and trying to get just pieces that can help. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, you can't afford to punt this season. And what what have we seen in the last few years that leads you to believe that James Harden is going to suddenly have postseason success this year? And again, it's not a drop-off. It's a cratering. They legitimately fall apart. And all of a sudden, they don't functionally operate the way they do in the regular season. But again, like... The reason why I think he is going to hold him hostage is because he's done that before and it's worked. He did that to Ben Simmons, and he ended up getting James Harden out of it. And so, you know, I, I think that probably gives him the hope. And who knows? Like, and here's the thing: like, if it works out, like, if he manages to flip Daryl, if he, if Daryl Morey manages to flip James Harden into Drew Holiday or some other high level like star ish level player, then I will be amazed, and I'll have to eat my words. And Daryl Morey will be the the evil genius that pulls it off once again. I just find it unlikely. You know, like, because we, we're not the only ones who got to see what happened to James Harden in the playoffs. So did everybody else. And they saw him healthy, in rhythm, going into that postseason run and playing like shit again. All the other 29 GMs in the league saw that. And, like, when we're talking about contenders making moves, like, because if you're going to go after James Harden, it's because you think he's going to push you over the top into a championship team. Like, after what you've seen from him in the postseason, what makes you think that that's going to be the piece that pushes you over the top? You know, so, like, I, I think it's more than likely that his best opportunity to play for a contender is with Philly. And, and, but even if even from Philly's perspective, like, do you want to do this again? Do you want to have another great regular season and watch it all come together in February, March, and then get to April and he can't make a step-back jump shot and he's not getting the same whistle that he got in the regular season, can't finish at the rim, and in general just isn't the same impactful player he was in the regular season? Like, Do you want to see that happen again? Especially in an East that's getting better. The Bucks got better. A lot better. The Celtics got better. They brought in a legitimate, you know, more reliable big man than Robert Williams and Al Horford, right? So, like, I, I I look at this as like a step back in a lot of ways. The Embiid problem is something only Joel Embiid can solve, and there's two issues. One is his health. He keeps getting banged up every postseason. Like I pointed out, the obvious dip in numbers, but there's context there. Like Joel Embiid was hurt. But, like, that's been a consistent issue. He and the Sixers have to find a way to take better care of his body. And there's a couple different things to look at there. Maybe stop flopping all the damn time. It's not good for you. Maybe a minute's restriction in the regular season. I don't know what it is. You got to find a way. You got to find a way to get Joel Embiid to the middle of April feeling good in his body. And then the second issue is his approach. Joel Embiid has built his game around a lot of mid-range jump shots and a lot of free-throw attempts. And here's the problem. Every year he gets to the postseason, the jumper stops going in, and he stops getting the calls. Once again last year, Joel Embiid, 17 free-throw attempts per 100 possessions in the regular season. 13 free-throw attempts per 100 possessions in the playoffs. That's a 24% drop. That's substantial. That's a significant chunk of his offense. That's several points a game. So like... If he's not going to get the whistle, and he's not going to be able to make the jump shot, he's going to have to build an offensive game that is more reliable when he gets to the postseason. Obviously, he's capable of being a dominant defender. The Celtics, and we'll talk about this in a minute, the Celtics had some success stretching him out and pick and roll, but like the reality is everybody can do that to every center in the league. And after seeing Jokic win the title... And Embiid just clearly being a better defensive player than Jokic, then I don't think that that's going to be the thing that breaks makes or breaks the Sixers team. But so let's put the defensive end aside for a minute. Let's focus on the offensive end. He's got to find a way to get higher percentage shots closer to the rim. Joel Embiid last year just made 34 hooks and floaters. So again, like these are shorter range shots, most within five feet of the rim. You know, maybe a floater out to six or seven feet on the short roll. These are all close-range shots that are much easier to make at a higher percentage. Like, think of it like this. Like, KD is the very best mid-range jump shooter in the world. Joel Embiid has no chance to ever become as good as a pull-up jump shooter as KD. He makes 60% of them last year. KD, 60% of his twos, pull-up twos, as insane as that is. But he's the alien. Joel Embiid's probably going to make 50% on his best day. All right? I shouldn't say on his best day, but in his best season, like he's going to peak around 50% as a pull-up jump shooter at the best possible outcome, right? Chances are probably a little lower. So in that case, that's a point per possession. That's not enough. A defense is going to live with that. Like we talked about earlier, 0.95 points per possession in the half court is like one of the worst marks in the league. Right? So that goes to show you how inefficient a pull-up mid-range jump shot is in the big, grand scheme of things. I think it's an important part of a player's game. You need to have that for rescue possessions and when it's what the defense is giving you. But it's it's Embiid's bread and butter. And, and that's the difference. It can't be your bread and butter unless you're hitting it at 60%, which is 1.2 points per possession. See the difference? That's a 120 offensive rating. That's untenable for a defense to live with. And I would argue, I mean, if you look at the Suns last year and the year before, or La- Suns last year and the Nets the year before, KD's mid-range jump shot has become less efficient in the postseason and it's been a problem. But like, what makes the Jokic thing work? It's because he's making those floaters and hooks two out of three times. He, If you let Jokic get looks and don't double him, he's going to make them at an incredibly efficient rate because he's not relying on tougher jump shots. He's taking floaters and hooks in by the basket. Again, these numbers are crazy. Joel Embiid made just 34 hooks and floaters all season last year. Nikola Jokic made 181 of them. Jokic has built his game around things that he can rely on in the postseason. He knows... Come hell or high water, he's going to be able to get to and make those hooks and floaters. With Embiid, it's like he didn't even trust himself anymore. After he missed a bunch of them early in the playoff run, he like kind of didn't. He didn't take them as often. Embiid like legit lost confidence in it, and that's a shot that he hit all the time in the regular season. And so that's the thing. Like if it's a hook or a floater, he's always going to feel good about those chances. So, I mean, I, I, think that's the, I think that's the important area offensively that he has to build out. A little bit more of a bully ball and a little bit less of a finesse approach. And then lastly, playmaking. Uh, Joel Embiid, once again, way more turnovers than assists in this playoff run. He had 35 turnovers to just 24 assists. In his playoff career, he has 193 turnovers to 148 assists. Now, he actually had 48 more assists than turnovers in the regular season. This is a playoff problem. Teams double him, and they stunt at him, and they jump passing lanes, and they sneak along the baseline, and he has no idea how to handle it. Like, 24 assists for an MVP caliber offensive fulcrum in 11 playoff games is not going to get the job done. He has got to figure out how to read defenses at a higher level. And to me, like, that is about actually hunting and looking for those opportunities, He almost needs to make that his goal during the regular season, to shoot less, make reads more, because it's a skill he has to build out in order to become a more impactful playoff player. Now, defensive versatility was an issue as well. The Sixers were 8th in defense in the regular season. They were 12th in half-court defense, according to Cleaning the Glass, 10th protecting the paint, 7th protecting the three-point line. Fourteenth in defensive rebounding. They did foul a lot. They were 20th in opponent free throw attempts per hundred possessions, but mostly good, not great, right? Um the problem was is they had a good base scheme that worked in the regular season, right? Like Embiid playing a a, a pretty deep drop. He'd occasionally come up to the level of screen against more pull up shooting heavy guys, and he was pretty good at riding that yo yo, getting up and down uh back to the basket after showing high. Um and like they last year they would just give tougher perimeter assignments to guys like Tobias Harris and DeAnthony Melton and Daniel House and PJ Tucker right uh, and then they would hide James Harden and Tyrese Maxey whenever they could and and that worked in the regular season but then they ran up it, like Boston lit them up 117 points per 100 possessions I was a 117 offensive rating against the Sixers in that series now i don't really blame Embiid here like we like, like we've mentioned earlier yes Tatum cooked him in switches in Game 7. In general, Embiid got lit on fire in pick-and-roll in Game 7. But I think it's a team-wide issue. Because, like I mentioned before, every rim protector in the league is going to struggle on switches against NBA superstars, except for maybe Giannis and AD, right? And guys like Bam. But the vast majority of defensive bigs are going to struggle in those situations. Like, Flip the roles, like Jokic is getting barbecued in pick and roll by Tatum too. That's just a fact. As a matter of fact, I've seen him do it in a regular season. I did a whole video on it last year. So like, that's not what I'm worried about. It, to me, it's an overall aggregate defensive talent issue. Like, I think you need to improve your point of attack defense. Patrick Beverly will help there, but ideally he's not starting, right? I think the big one is Kelly Oubre. If Kelly Oubre can kind of become the defensive player element that P.J. Tucker brought with some of the offensive element that Georges Niang brought. And Georges Niang is a way better shooter than Pat, uh, Kelly, but Kelly can be a much better offensive player than P.J. Tucker. But, like, that's where it can get more interesting. Um, as a group, you need to improve on the perimeter in, in your overall athleticism and ability to cover ground. But, like, I start to look at it from the standpoint of, like, if I'm not getting anything out of Harden in the playoffs, wouldn't I be better off having a really good two-way guard in that spot, wouldn't I? Like, what if it was Alex Caruso? And I'm just putting – just don't even think about the machinations of a deal. Let's just look at the lineup, just for the sake of basketball. Let's say I've got Alex Caruso and DeAnthony Melton with Tobias Harris, and let's say Kelly Oubre buys in defensively and has become a legitimate perimeter weapon. Uh, defensively I've got Alex Crusoe outstanding point of attack defender De'Anthony Melton pretty good point of attack defender Tobias Harris pretty good point of attack defender Kelly Oubre let's imagine in this scenario he becomes a pretty good point of attack defender then you can do things like switch and pick and roll with Embiid uh, if you need to and just have him simply uh, press up a little bit and you have the athleticism on the back end to rotate right because Crusoe is just better at making rotations than James Harden then you might not be able to switch at all and just actually have him beats uh, sit and drop because you trust your point of attack defenders to get over to the top of screens better. Like an overall increase in aggregate defensive talent might actually be a better playoff weapon than what the Harden situation was. Because if you're not, if you're getting two for 13 out of James Harden literally every other playoff game, like what what is he bringing? Wh- how much more imposing. Are you as a team, if you run everything through Maxi and Embiid on one end and you have better defense on the other end, right? And, and that's part of the issue too, is like Tyrese Maxi. We, we didn't even talk about him, but like Tyrese Maxi, legitimately, like, like, and he took a leap last year, he averaged a career high 20 points per game, 61% true shooting. It's the best pick and roll season of his career. He's legitimately turned himself into a reliable jump shooter. I've told you guys this story before, but one of my favorite Maxi memories is i bumped into him in Vegas and he was out there working his ass off, like coming out of the gym, just doing a workout like every other NBA player I saw, not to say that they weren't working out there, but like it was kind of cool to see that Tyrese Maxi was out there taking his job seriously. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he's experienced the leaps that he's experienced in his career. Um, but like that's another issue. Is like Tyrese Maxey right now is below average point of attack defender. So like, if you run Harden and Maxey together, you have severe limitations there. Maybe you're better off with one guy like that, Tyrese Maxey, and then really good point of attack defense around him. Maybe that gives you a better chance to contend. But I, I don't. I don't think that. Um, I don't think they're good enough in the playoff context on either end of the floor right now. As a matter of fact, it feels like they took a step back, like I mentioned earlier. And Boston's just better. Milwaukee's just better. Both of them got better. Like Miami has gotten no better, but you know they're better than Philly. So like right now they're firmly the fourth best team in the East. And, and so this season just kind of screams of another 50 wins and another second-round exit is what it looks like to me. All right, let's talk mailbag before we get out of here today. Um, what do you think of Jabari Parker's take on leaving the NBA to play in Europe where every game matters? The quote from Jabari Parker was, there are 10 to 12 teams that try to win every game and the other half try to get a draft pick. Where does that leave good players? It's no excuse to see Boogie Dwight or John Wall, guys who are potentially going into the Hall of Fame, seeing those guys not have a job, end quote. This one was funny to me. First of all, because of the whole way the whole interview was framed, it's like I'm leaving the NBA. It's like I, something tells me if your agent actually got you an offer, you would have stayed in the NBA. Um, also, he's just wrong. The NBA is incredibly stacked with talent. i uh, I pointed it out earlier in our series, but like, I think there are 19 teams in the league that are legitimately very good. And the night-in, night-out schedule in the NBA is tougher than it's ever been. And even as we go down the line, it's like you're going to have an easy matchup against the San Antonio Spurs, have fun with Victor Weminyama and Jeremy Sohan and, uh, you know, like uh, Keldon Johnson. And, like, you get. they even picked up Reggie Bullock as, like, a veteran Lock and Trail Defender, and it, like like it's it's not gonna be easy, you know. Like going to Portland in front of their home crowd to play against Shaden Sharp and, and and Scoot Henderson and Anthony Simons and DeAndre Ayton, not gonna be an easy game. It's just not. So like the league is tougher than it's ever been, and that probably has a lot to do with why Jabari Parker doesn't have a spot in it right now. Um, but like his take is just flat out wrong. Like the NBA does have a tanking issue in the big picture. Like there is tanking, but it's usually just a handful of teams at the bottom. The play in team is the play in tournament has done a really nice job of engaging the league from top to bottom in a way that it hasn't in the past. I, I just disagree with, uh, with, 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 Jabari and it strikes me as a, 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 kind of a deflection from a bigger issue, which is that he just doesn't have a spot in the league. Obviously, he's a great fit for Milwaukee with his skill set, but as far as chemistry, what does it take for a new star player to successfully integrate into an already contending team? This was in our Dame video, so it's a Dame question. This is interesting. I, you know, again, when you're coming into a situation like this where you're less of a foundational piece and more of like a mercenary addition, it's all about communication with the coaching staff. Um. Finding out exactly what they need from you. And I think the big one's going to be defensively. Like, if you're if you're Damian Lillard today, you woke up and you're like, feeling good, right? Like, I have an opportunity to go play with the second best player in the league, in my opinion. And an opportunity to... Or third best player in the league behind Steph. Uh, but it, regardless of what you want to call it, a bona fide top tier superstar defending, you know, a guy who's won a championship. Uh, and a multiple time MVP. Got an opportunity to go play with this guy. And... They already have good role players around him, right? Like Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton. Like You're not going to do much better than that around the league. So the question becomes, do you feel good about your chances to win a title? And my guess is Dame does. But then you start to think about it and you go, reality sets it. Excuse me, reality sets in. And you realize, like, in order to win a championship, we're going to have to beat other great teams. And those series are going to come down to the smallest of margins. So I, Dame have to have the best season of my career in all of the winning details. So I think Dame is aware of the narrative about his defense, and I think he's aware that he's going to have to be the best defensive version of himself to put the, the Bucks over the top. So from there, it's about communication with the coaching staff to find out what they need from you in the defensive scheme, and then from day one of training camp, demonstrating it on the court. And like... If you see Dame from day one make that commitment, then it could trickle down. It's a leadership thing. And that could be the beginning, the foundation of a defensive culture that allows you to win a championship. So that's what I expect. And my guess is uh, we'll end up seeing quotes coming out of uh, Milwaukee's training camp four or five days after they get started about how Dame has been competing defensively and has been an impact player there. He's too good of an athlete and has too good of a law lo- uh, of like a, like a strong, low center of gravity, to not at least be able to do a job defensively. And so I I think he will end up. Last question from John. How is this, referring to the Dame trade, how is this that much different than KD to Golden State, which Dame said he'd never do? It is so, 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 so much different. Like, again, like there are a lot of examples of stars joining great teams in NBA history. This is another example of them, right? Right. And yeah, Milwaukee became the favorite, but there's nothing that comes remotely close to literally Kevin freaking Durant going and signing straight up as a free agent for a team that won 67 games in a championship two years prior, 73 games, and was literally one shot away from a championship one year prior. There's nothing close to that. And everyone goes like, it's so funny when I hear guys go like, oh, KD and Steph, KD and Steph. Yeah, it was crazy to see KD and Steph together. Literally the second and third best players in the world, in my opinion. But it wasn't just that. It was KD and Steph and Klay Thompson in the heart of his prime. And Draymond Green in the heart of his prime. And Andre Guadalla at the tail end of his prime. Like, literally, like it just does not compare. The KD Warriors are by far... The most talented team ever assembled. It's not close. They literally went into the season as a negative favorite. Like, you had to give up points. Or money, I should say. Like, you had to bet $100 and something to win 100 bucks. when the Warriors signed KD. It was not the same. Like, this is another example of a star joining a great team right it's like Bradley Beal joining the Suns maybe a, a higher level than that but this is another example of a great player joining a great team but there is there there is it's KD to the Warriors gigantic chasm everything else like even even the LeBron Wade bosch thing was different like like when you really factor in the that Mike Bibby was starting for that team and And their problems at the center position and the spacing and everything. Like, they were so much easier to guard. Like It was a totally different thing. Like, even LeBron wasn't close to the player that he was going to become at that point. Like, the Heat, I think, were better than their performance showed. Because I think Wade's decline kind of undercut that. But, like, to me, it's... The KD to the Warriors giant chasm than everything else. I've not seen anything close to it, and I don't think this is close to it. And it's hard to even conceptualize something that would be crazier. Like, it would literally be like I'm trying to think of a team that was, that, that was already loaded. Like, it'd be like the, if the Denver Nuggets literally just had cap space and just signed Giannis and into the Aaron Gordon spot. That's what that would be like. Because. Giannis and Jokic would be two of the top three players in the league, just like KD and Steph were, and you'd have three other really, really good role players next to him, and a dynamic guard that could score a million points like Clay Thompson or Jamal Murray. Like I, I, I think we have to be careful with comparing things to that because there really wasn't anything like it. Like go just for fun, go Google preseason title odds in 2017 and 2018. Just go look at them and compare them to what we saw now with the bucks who I think are still like a plus 350 fa- uh, favorite like they're a favorite but it's still considered somewhat of a long shot in the fact in the sense that if I bet 100 bucks and the bucks win the title I win 350 bucks it's a totally different situation all right guys that is all I have for today we will be back tomorrow with number seven my power rankings got all jumbled by the dame trade so a couple of different teams um the team I was gonna do tomorrow got moved up Uh, uh, a team that was involved in the trade and in a vicarious, you know, kind of tangential way is going to end up being number seven. So hang tight. We have number seven tomorrow. And then training camp literally starts next week. So lots of good basketball ahead. I appreciate you guys and I'll see you tomorrow. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A Redwood Forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health.